We all want happiness in our lives. This is true, but happiness seems to always be leaving us. What we need is joy. Joy is something we aim for, and it doesn't matter what is happening in our lives. Joy is rooted in God, not feelings. We hope that you're encouraged as you join us in the message entitled, The Common Denominator. While they're heading out, take your Bibles out. We're going to be reading a a whole lot of Bible this morning. That's all right, isn't it? That's a good thing. You come to church, it's all right to read the Bible, I hope. You know, I know some churches don't do that. They may preach out of the Reader's Digest or something, but... Yeah. But we still preach out of the Bible here, and I think that's a pretty good thing. I, I believe God's all right with that. We're going to be starting out in the book of Colossians. This is the Apostle Paul's uh, letter to Colossians. Today's the 11th, honey. My wife said, what day is it? It's Sunday. (laughs) I know you do. And then she does take notes, and everybody should take notes. Amen. But uh, this is Paul's letter as he is led by the Holy Spirit of God to the church at Colossia. We're in chapter 3, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, If then... You were raised with Christ. Now, we understand he's talking to Christians here. Everybody got that? He's talking to Christians. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seating, sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth. Fornication, and He kind of gives us a checklist here. Fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, he's addressing things that should be past tense. Amen? And I hope everybody sitting here this morning and those that's listening via the Internet are on the redeemed side of that list. We shouldn't be living in those things because they were in the former life. Verse 8 says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Now these are the things that might be in the present tense. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, he's saying it doesn't matter where you came from, who you were, what you've done. Jesus is the same in you as He is in me. He's the same in me as He is in the Jew. He's the same in all of us. He is all and in all. And these are things that we should put off, He says. Verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If any one has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Verse 14 said, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, everything he just said is really summed up in a nutshell in verse 2. I want to read that one more time. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. Because all the things that he listed were either in one category or the other. Do the things that come from above. Humility and love and those type things. Not the things on earth. You know, malice and anger and fornication and those things. So he puts it in two categories. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just continue to bless you, Lord. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, it is a love letter that you wrote to us. God, inside of it is your will for our life. It's how we should respond to you. It's how we should respond to the world. How we should respond to one another. And God, we pray that you would just help us rightly divide your word of truth this morning, God. So that we would not have to be ashamed before you. God, we pray that you help us to not only hear it, but God, this morning that we would apply it to our life and be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. So God, just speak to us right now. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to come right now and be our instructor. Prepare our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, I want to kind of take the context of, our, of, our, of the message and focus on things that are eternal. Heavenly things. And, and I think the reason that I'm doing this is because just in recent weeks, we've had several funerals, if you recall. We just did a funeral here not too long ago, a few weeks ago, uh, for my mother-in-law. Well, another good friend of, of the family's passed away, an, an elderly lady, uh, down in South Boston where my dad used to pastor a church. This lady used to come to the church. And I grew up with her kids, or I was in church with her kids at that particular time. And so um, we went back for that funeral. And, and I saw these people, and these, the youth sitting here on the front row, I, I was your age when I was in that church. And so I hadn't seen those people since then. And they got old. I don't know what happened to them. But they were old. But as I, as I was looking at them and looking at how old they were, it occurred to me just how short life really is, you know. I've already passed the half century mark. And when I saw them, it just didn't seem like it was that long ago that we were riding our bicycles up and down Highway 58 there in Halifax County, Virginia. And um, I realized, man, life is really short. And um, when, when, we, when we go to a funeral and we experience death, it, it, it comes crashing in just how temporary this life is. Not only have we had funerals, we've had some people that had some really 
close brushes with death. And Emily's and uh, Meredith are here this morning, and they're back on the men. Praise God! She walked in Wednesday night, and God is good, isn't He, girls? But uh, I remember getting the phone call, you know, and they had been in a terrible car accident, and I'm, they'd medevaced them to the hospital. That's not a good sign usually. And I remember driving down there, praying, God, please help me to go and pray for the healing of these girls, and not have to go in and comfort a grieving family that has lost a child. You know, and Chelsea, we just prayed for this morning, was in another just serious car accident. And what it tells me, folks, is we're not promised tomorrow. you got no guarantees. you got no promises. Any of us could check out of here at any time, and age has got nothing to do with it. These were all under the age of 20, and it, we thank God that he spared their life. It could have turned out a lot different. If you saw Chelsea's car... You wonder how on earth did that child walk away from that car? How did she even survive the crash? Because it is a mutilated mess. But James chapter 4 verse 14 speaks to that. It says, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. And so as I was thinking about these things, the Lord, he, sometimes I was talking to Amanda, she said, I was up all night, thanks to you, because I told her Wednesday night, I said, when you sing that song, I just wish you'd just really get into it, you know, and say something. She said, God woke me up and said, i got to get up and say something this morning. <laughs> Kept me up all night. I said, well, just, it'll help you to know that he usually wakes me up in the middle of the night, too. I usually have to jump up and get a pen, because I'm writing just as fast as I can what God is putting on my heart, you know. And when I say, well, it occurred to me, that's another way of saying God just put something in my thinking. That's the way God speaks to me. It occurred to me. And so I said, usually he wakes me up at 3, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. But Thursday he let me sleep till 8 o'clock. Isn't that nice of him? But when I woke up, the framework for this message was on my mind, and I just grabbed a sheet of paper. while Before I even got out of the bed, I started writing down some things. And I want to share on that with you this morning. Another passage of scriptures I was building on this that I came across uh, is in Second Corinthians chapter five, and, and I'm reading this from the New International Version because I think it sort of explained it the best. It says in verse one, "Now we know that if this earthly tent, everybody touch yourself and say tent. This is this is your tent. All right, this earthly tent we live in is destroyed. That means we die." Uh, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. That's the body. See, this body, all this is, is a clothing of, for my spirit. My spirit just put this body on. It's five foot, ten inches tall, brown eyes. Got O-type positive blood, O-positive blood. That's the clothing that God gave my spirit. Well, he's got another one waiting for me, and that's what he's talking about. It's the body that we'll be clothed in. Verse 4 says, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Okay. See, what are we doing? I'm talking to you about some heavenly things. The things we're supposed to set our focus on, not earthly things. See, we get so wrapped up in this body, man, we do all kinds of stuff to it. Don't we? Yeah. Man, I got up this morning and put the best looking clothes I could find on it. Combed down all three hairs and sprayed them down so they wouldn't fly all over the place. 
you know, and you women, I'm not even going to go there. One guy says, man, my wife is newlywed. My wife takes forever to get ready. I'm like, brother, I've been waiting on a woman my whole life. Get used to it. Isn't it true, guys? I'm, I can get out of the bed in 30 minutes, showered, shaved, clothed, and ready to go out the door in 30 minutes flat. Now, I want a woman in the house to do that. Don't even go. <laughs> I, I better leave that alone, boy. <laughs> Verse 5 says, Now is God who has made us for this very purpose. Let's read that again. Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose. What purpose? To be clothed in our heavenly body. That's our purpose. Not the things of this earth. The things of heaven. That is our purpose. And has given us the Holy Spirit, that's a capital S, the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore... We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That means we are away from His tangible, visible presence. I've never seen Jesus. Have you? Some people may have. Some people have had visions of Christ. Paul did. But I haven't. So we're away from His his visible presence. Verse 7 says, We live by faith. Not by sight. In other words, I've never seen him, but I know that he's there. That's my faith, you see. Verse 8 says, And we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. See, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Is it our goal to please him? Are we so earthly bound and earthly minded that we fail to please the Lord? Are we setting our affection on things of this world instead of the things of heaven? Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things which, uh, things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, we walk by faith, the Bible says, not by sight. The Bible says we live by faith. Paul, when he wrote to the church at Rome, he wrote in the first chapter in the 16th verse, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it's the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, therein, in the gospel, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. In other words, the righteousness of God means how to be right with God. I know how to be right with God from the gospel. It's revealed in there. And it shows me how to live from one level of faith to another level of faith. As it is written, the just, or those who are justified, shall live by faith. So if we're going to be heavenly minded, we have to be people of faith. We have to live by that faith. You say, okay, well what is faith then? Hebrews, the 11th chapter says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In other words, Jesus is just as real to me as if I had tangible, physical evidence of it. 
there is a substance to what I believe, even though it, I can't really feel it. It's as real as if I can feel it. And it's the things that I hope for. Now, the word hope doesn't mean maybe it will happen. I sure hope it will. No, it means the certain expectation that it will happen. You see, and we live our lives according to that hope. And this is the things that God was beginning to, to show me uh, the other morning. Now, I think the reason that he did that is because a few weeks ago I was in prayer. I have certain places that I normally always pray. I told you about my prayer closet and my shop out back. That's one place I call a prayer closet. Usually, Jesus went up on the mountain. I go and just get away. That's where I get away. But also driving is a good place and a good time to pray. Anybody here pray when you're driving down the road? Really good place to pray. That can be a good prayer closet. I have found that a motorcycle helmet is an outstanding prayer closet. Really, especially a full face one, so it's all wrapped around you. Have you ever stuck your fingers in your ears and talked? Have you ever done that and you can hear yourself talk? Well, that's the way it is in a motorcycle helmet. I mean, it's a really, it's a really small prayer closet, but it's a good one. But anyway, I was driving down the road and I was praying and I said, as a pastor, you, you want to meet the needs of the people. That's part of what drives you, you know. And I was saying, God, what, what is the one thing that everybody wants what is the one thing that everybody needs lord what is the thing that i can provide for your people you know and that was my my direction of prayer that that morning and i didn't get a thing you know the lord didn't put anything in my heart and in my thinking but sometime later between then i don't even know exactly when it happened it occurred to me that the thing and i, and I, I titled the message day the common denominator the thing that we all have in common, what every person anywhere in the world wants, is happiness. Every person in the world wants happiness. I believe that our founding fathers realized that when they wrote the uh, Declaration of Independence. They said that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we're all created equal, and that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of of happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. And so that occurred to me. And, and then God began to... This is what the Lord was showing me when I got up Thursday. The Lord says, Bernie, everybody wants to be happy. But happiness is its elusive. It's like trying to catch a cloud. You never really catch it. You may be in its presence temporarily. But we all know that you can be happy one minute and unhappy the next. I mean, you can be having a time of your life enjoying something that brings you pleasure and somebody can come across your path that just really ticks you off and you're not happy anymore. I mean, it can change just like that. Amen? Isn't that true? And so he, said, he also said that happiness comes in measures. Some people, uh, there never seems to be happy. Their happiness could be measured in a teaspoon. You know, and some people get happy by the teacupfuls. Some people are happy by the bucketfuls. And some people are happy by tanker truckloads, you know. <laughs> but regardless of what you measure, sooner or later the teacup's dry, the teaspoon's empty, the bucket's poured out, the tanker develops a leak, and you're, you're empty again. It has eluded you once more. You cannot capture it. And so what everybody wants in answer to my question, God says everybody wants happiness. 
But also in answer to my question, what does everybody need? God says everybody needs joy. You need joy because, see, joy has nothing to do with what's happening in your life. See, happiness has to do with what's happening in your life. If something is happening that's good, you're happy. Something happening that's not good, you're not happy. But joy, whether something good's happening or whether something bad's happening, it is the very core of your being. It is the things that you hope for. It's what drives you. It's what motivates you. It's what makes you get up in the morning. It's your reason for being. And so what the Lord was showing me is that faith and hope and joy, they're all connected. Because if you show me a person that has no faith, I'll show you a person that has no hope. You show me a person that has no hope, I will show you a person that has no joy. And if you show me a person that has no joy, I'll show you a person that has given up on life. Because there's no reason to get up in the morning. They have no faith, they have no hope, they have no joy. They're all connected. And this is what the Lord was showing me. They're all connected. And people that give up. Jeannie, I was giving her little tidbits of it. We were talking about it this week. And I said, you know, a guy that's homeless, the only joy he has is his next meal and where he's going to sleep tonight. It's the only thing that motivates him. The only thing that gives him joy is something to eat, place to sleep. Because he's given up. He has no hope. He has no faith. He has no joy. So these are the things that motivates us and it affects, in, 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 in a sense, our happiness. Now, people pursue joy in all kinds of places. They look for it in all kinds of places. And no matter where you look for joy, it can fall under one of three categories. They call it the three G's. All right? Girls, gold, or glitter. And if you're a girl, it'd be guys. Gold or glitter. And no matter what you're looking for for joy, it's going to some, somewhere or another, it's going to fit in one of those three categories. Let's take gold, for example. If somebody's joy is to, is to have possessions or to have money or the things that money can buy, that is their purpose for living. Man, they get up because they're trying to make the buck. And it's what drives them. And when they make a good deal and they make a lot of money, man, they've got joy. You know, they've got, they're happy. And no matter whether the deal's going good or going bad, it's still what motivates them. It can, the, the deal can go south on them and they're still driven. I'm going to make a better deal next time because it's all about the money. That's their purpose. That's their joy. That is their passion, their hope. Everything is pushed by that. If, it's, if it is a, a guy or a girl, their whole drive in life is to get that girl. To get to, if I could just marry her, I'll be the happiest man in the world. You ask teenagers, we're going to get married. Well, how are you going to live? We're going to live on love. Man, love don't pay bills, you know what I'm saying? And it don't fill an empty stomach, and it don't warm a cold house. <laughs> if I could just marry that guy, I know I'd be the happiest woman in the world. You know, so they're driven by that relationship. That's their purpose in life is to have that relationship. You know, or if it's glitter. See, glitter is it's, it's a, a position or power to rise to the top. If I could just become the boss, you know, or if I could just be the CEO or I could be successful, you know, I could have a place of power, position, or recognition. And so they're driven by that succession up the ladder. But what we find out is sooner or later, 
you may obtain those things. That is the hope that drives you. And so you get your girl, you know. And they say that love is blind. You ever heard that? And marriage is an eye opener. Because you thought, now this is my joy. This is, if I get this woman, I'll be the happiest man for the rest of my life. And years later, you're getting ready to go to bed and she takes the false this off and the false that off. And there's more of her on the, on the dresser than there is in the bed. And you're trying to figure out which one should I go climb on, you know. And if it's the guy, if I could just get this guy, you know, I, I know he would make me happy. And you never dreamed he could create so many dirty socks. Yeah. Dirty underwear. You don't, you don't have to worry about where he's been because there's always a bunch of cups sitting there. And there's plates, you know, I mean, there's his towels laying in the floor, all that stuff. He's either the dirtiest man in the world or the cleanest. You just ain't figured it out yet, you know. And for some reason, it, your joy is gone. You know, you get the gold. And we had just a few weeks ago from Teen Challenge, we had two young men standing here. Said, I had it all. All the money I wanted. I drove Ferraris. I had women swimming pools, nice homes. And I was miserable inside. You see, that was their joy. It's their passion. It's what drove them. It was their hope. Their faith was in it. And when they finally got it, it was just as elusive as happiness. It's like trying to catch a clout. You can't catch it. You can't hold it. The person that wants the power, the place, the position, he finally gets there and he finds out that it's lonely at the top. Now you've got all this responsibilities, you've got ulcers because you've got all of this stress. Everybody blames everything on you because you're living under the law of the whale. You know what the law of the whale is, don't you? He who rises to the surface and blows gets harpooned. I know, if you're a boss man, you know that to be true, right? I found out in construction, I was, a, I was in supervision for 11 years, and when you put the white hat on, no matter what your crew does, it's your fault. And so you finally make it to the top and you realize, I don't have the joy I thought I would have. It has eluded me. But I read in the Bible, and the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. You see, it's not temporary in nature like happiness. And like the things on this earth, they're all temporary. The things we spend our life pursuing, they elude you. They're temporary, by definition in nature. But the joy of the Lord is not elusive. It doesn't fleet away like a cloud. It's not temporary. Now, if you want joy, how many of you would like to have joy? Well, let me tell you, you don't clap for it. You don't dance for it. You don't laugh for it. Because back in the 70s, we sang this really goofy song. And I, was, I thought it was even goofy back then. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. How many remember it? If you want joy, you must laugh for it. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, this has got to be the... <laughs> And when we got through, you must dance for it. You must clap for it. And we got through dancing and laughing and clapping, and there was still wasn't any joy. It's like, and so the Lord showed me Wednesday to uh, Thursday morning. If you want joy, 
You must aim for it. You see. You must aim for it. And as that occurred to me, I started thinking about it. I enjoy shooting things, uh, weapons, you know. <laughs> shooting things. Shooting things. <laughs> Targets, all right. Let me clarify. Uh, I enjoy shooting things. Boy, that one come out wrong. <laughs> Shooting targets, all right. Years ago, we, there was a handful of us that actually started the, uh, I think what it's called today is the Gooseland Archery Club. But back then it was called the Broken Arrow <laughs> Hunting Club, you, uh, Shooting Club, Archery Club. And it was just a handful of us. And we released a piece of land and we went out and set up targets. And we'd go through and shoot the target, you know. And it was just a barrel of fun. And I enjoyed that. And regardless of whether you shot a compound bow, if you know what that is, it's got all the pulleys and, and cables on it, uh, and pin sights, or whether you shot a recurve or a long bow, shot instinctive, whatever you shot, the purpose was still the same. You had to aim at what you were shooting at. Or whether you're shooting a rifle. I, we have a shooting range at my house, and um, we get out and shoot the rifles and stuff. It's a backstop we'll shoot into. And whether you're shooting a scope or open sights, you've got to line up the sights at what you're trying to hit. And, and as I was thinking about that, God says when you aim, that means you're setting your entire focus on your target. And if you want joy, you've got to aim for it. You have to set your affections on things above, the King James Version says. You've got to set your sight on things above, we read this morning. The Amplified Bible says you have to set your aim on the things above. And so as the Lord showed me that and I began to research, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, Lord. Joy is really setting our focus, our passion, our affection, our hope, our faith on the things above, not on the things of this earth. And so if I, I begin to realize that really joy is, is living our life completely and totally sold out. To Jesus Christ. And most people don't have joy because most people spend their time and their focus and their effort on the things of this world. Things that's temporary. Even if you live to be 110, which is in our book could be a pretty long time, that's nothing compared to, to eternity. What is your life? It's like a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And people spend their whole 110 years focused on this life, on this earth, instead of setting their affections on things above. And they'd spend it with no joy. So I said, well, Lord, with all that in mind, how do we get this joy? Well, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to know where to find it. See, people, you've got to know where to set your aim. People are aiming in every direction. They're aiming at girls. They're aiming at guys. They're aiming at gold. They're aiming at glitter. We've got to aim at God. We've got to aim for God. You've got to find nowhere to find it. Aim in the right direction. See, the Bible says the same thing. It says there are three things that are of this world. This is in 1 John, chapter 2, I think. The lust of the eye. All right. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's your three G's right there. The lust of the eye, that's the, all the things, that would be the gold. The lust of the flesh, that would be the guys and the girls. And the pride of life, that would be the glitter. Power, position, prestige. 
And so, those, if you read in First John, he says, these things are of the world, they're not of God. And if you love these things, the love of the Father is not in you. Love not the things of the world, but the things of the Father. So real joy is found in knowing Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about knowing about Him. See, everybody in here knows about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know anything about religion, and you've gone to church any length of time, you know about Him. But how many of us really know Him? See, many of you know about my wife. See, you know her. You know her name. You know that she's got, she is a valiant woman. <laughs> you know, I used to be tough when I was a kid. I'm a wimp now. She's the real man of the household. See, you mess with me, I sick her on you. Because she's valiant. She's got courage. If you know her, she's, she's bold. She's got a boldness I've never had. She'll run up and say stuff to people I would never say. Because she's just got boldness, you know. How many of you know that to be true? All right? You know her to be committed to her family and to me and to, to the things she believes. You may know that about her. You may not, but you may know that about her. You know, you may know that she has a compassion for the weak. And these different things that you may know about her, but you don't know her like I know her. You see, because I am intimate with her. She's my wife. I know her voice. I know how she it feels and how she responds when she's happy, when she's sad, when she is, is heartbroken, or when she is, has sorrow. I know how she responds when she's angry, you know, when she is in pain. I know her intimate embrace. You don't know that and you never will. You better not. <laughs> you see, I know her in a way you never will. Well, see, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is that way. We can know a whole lot about Him, but never really know Him. And knowing the Lord Jesus Christ means that you have to be intimate with Him. You can't know somebody you never spend time with. That you talk to once a month. Try that with your courtship, guys. <laughs> She'll be looking for another man, I can tell you. You won't be the guy that she's looking for. <laughs> You've got to spend time with someone to know them. Praying. You see, and prayer's not hard. I wasn't going to go there, but prayer's not hard. I ride down the road talking to Jesus just as if he's sitting in the seat beside of me. Just like I'd carry on a conversation with anybody else. It usually always comes in the form of a question, because he knows and I don't. So sometimes it's a complaint session. Sometimes I'm whining and griping, you know. And he's very loving and patient and merciful. He listens to that. And then he gently rebukes me sometimes, and sometimes he, he embraces my spirit and comforts me. And You see, but I, I talk to him just like I'm talking to a friend. You, you can do the same thing, it's, but you need to do that. The way He talks to you is through His Word. You say, well, I can't read. Well, be in church every Sunday. All right? Be in church every Sunday. I'll read it for you. If you can't do anything else, be in church every Sunday. We've got Sunday school teachers. We will make sure that you have some time, at least once a week, that you spend some time hearing from Him, just like you're doing this morning. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is here? Speaking through an anointed man of God 
the Word of God. It's been called for that purpose. And so it's a time to get to know Him and know more about Him. And I hope you're learning something about Him this morning. I believe you are. I know that I did. See, this is stuff He gave me. So you need to know where to aim, first of all. Secondly, you need to know His plan for your life. You see, because when we get His plan for our life, it is how we live by faith. It's the hope that we have. It's what motivates us. It's the reason we get up in the morning. Is to do what God has called me to do today. And when you live your life that way, you don't have to be happy. Happiness has got nothing to do with it. There is a deeper sense of satisfaction, of motivation, of drive in you that holds you to your course in life. It's how the Apostle Paul could continue to serve God when he was beaten with lashes. Three times, 40 lashes saved one. Beaten with rods, stoned to death, shipwrecked in the sea, in peril by his countrymen, in peril in the city, in peril in the countryside, in peril by robbers. He's hungry. He's cold. Folks, if you're hungry, you're not happy. If you're getting beat with a whip, you're not happy. If you're thrown in prison, you're not happy. Happiness has got nothing to do with it. But the joy of the Lord is what motivated him because he knew what God had called him to do. He was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's you and I. When we know what God has called us to do, it is a, it is a, a drive that can give us joy and keeps us, keeps us moving forward. Gives us a reason for getting up every morning. Now, how many of you in here, you know what God has called you to do? Now, I don't look for a whole lot of hands, but some of you, you know what God has called you to do. And other people, how many of you would love to know what God has called you to do? And it seems very hard sometimes to find what God has called me to do. And people are always, that are sincerely seeking God, they want the answer to that question. But it's not always the big things. And let me just, this will give you some peace, I believe. It, It did for me. When you have a heart for God, you really sincerely want to serve Him. And you want to know what God wants you to do in your life. I want to be heavenly minded. I want to put my treasures up there. I want to live my life so that that it's heaven bound, heaven focused. That's your heart. If God hasn't given you something specific to do, then don't worry about it. Just do the basic outline. We all know that He said, Obey my commandment. If you don't know anything else as far as His plan for your life, there's a good place to start. Obey my commandment. I was reading in Thessalonians the other day about having a love for the truth. Just obeying His Word. Well, you can't obey something that you don't know, first of all. Which takes us back again to having a regular diet of His Word. I want to know what His Word is, and as I know it, I want to obey it. That may be what God has called me to do and nothing else. It may be something very simple. I was having a conversation with a young man the other day, and he's like, I know that people are expecting me to do this or that for God, but I just don't feel that. And I'm like, listen, God may not call you to do a blasted thing, but come to church every Sunday and set your family on that road. That may be the only thing He asks you to do. That's His call on your life. But you make sure they're there every Sunday. 
He may ask you to simply give one single glass of water in His name. He may never ask you to do another thing, but He's called you for that purpose and that purpose alone. But make sure you give that glass of water. And if we're obedient to do that, even those simple little things. When, when we, years ago, the man that led us, that, that led me in the baptism of the Spirit, my wife, he, he said that God had called him to, to plant a church. And so we helped him do that. God didn't call him to plant a church. I didn't know that at the time, but I knew it later. Well, I became his best deacon. That was my purpose in life. That was what I saw as my call. I got up every day. I went and opened the, every Sunday. I opened the church. I got the heat turned on. I made sure the lights were on. Everything was set in place. And it started off, it grew just a little bit, and then it dwindled down to nothing. The last Sunday that we showed up there, I was sitting on the front steps waiting for everybody to get there after I had the building opened up. My wife and my two kids at that time showed up. Nathan was an infant. That was it. Preacher didn't even show up. Me, my wife, and my two kids. And I sat there, heartbroken, wondering what in the world happened, you know. And it was actually that day that God spoke to my heart and said to go and prepare. I didn't know it was for this, but I just said, go where and prepare for what? And it led me on a journey that brought me to this point in life. But as I told that story one time, God spoke to a man in this church. You are to never let the pastor show up and be the only one there ever again. He told me that. He said, God told me that to never let that happen to you again. And he said, Pastor, I commit this to you. You will never be the only man at this church. If it dwindled down to nobody else is here, I will be here. And for 13 years, he's kept that commitment. That may be the only thing God ever calls him to do. To just be at church. Now, God has called him to do other things, but what if that was the only thing? Just come to church every Sunday. You say, well, God calls you to do that? Absolutely. In fact, God has called us all to do that. He told us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Brother, I grew up, I had a 13-year perfect attendance pen. Because the church we went to, if you went to Sunday school every Sunday and didn't miss a single time in Sunday school, you got a one-year perfect attendance pen. I had 13! Preacher's son wrote a song about it one time. A man finally missed Sunday school. You know how he missed it? He tripped over his perfect attendance pen. <laughs> missed Sunday school. It was a funny song. But just being in church every Sunday, that's a good place to start. God may call you to be here to help set up tables when we've got to do something. Park cars in the parking lot. You say, that's a call of God? Absolutely. See, the, the body has many parts. And we're all thinking, God's going to call me to be the head. No, He's going to call you to be the hand. Somebody's got to be the heel of the feet. You've got to have a firm foundation. You know, I hadn't figured out who the armpit is, but... Uh, Sometimes it's those things that help you grow, you know, divine sandpaper and those kind of things, you know. I've got to move on. I'm having too much fun here. Are you still with me? So these are good places to start. Just obey Him. You just obey the Lord. Have a regular diet of His Word. The last thing is to know that He has a master plan for you. And if we, when we get hold of this, and it's where we started out, there's a master plan. And it doesn't just take in the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we're here, that's a 
small, small part of His plan for you. The bigger part of His plan is eternity. And that's why He's saying, set your focus on things above, not on the things of this earth. That's the big plan. And if we can really get our mind wrapped around the fact that He has a master plan for my life, that gives me joy. It gives me a different purpose, a different faith, a different hope in life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as I read back over this real quick. I'm just going to look at this checklist we started out with in Colossians 3. Verse 2, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Verse 5, he said, Therefore put to death your members what you're on the earth. Fornication, uncleanliness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Those things should be on the other side of redemption, church. If you don't know the definition of those, look them up. Also in Galatians chapter 5, you'll see some, a whole list of things that are the fruits of the flesh. And I, once in a while, I'll pull that back out and I'll look at it to make sure. I, don't want, I want to make sure that's not in my life. That's not in my life. That's not in my life. And some of them I had to go look up the definition for because I didn't know what they were. You know, read Proverbs chapter 6. These six things God hates, yea, seven is an abomination unto him. Uh, uh, eyes, oh, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that is swift to run to mischief, uh, deceitfulness that, that lives a false witness or lies. I think that's a paraphrase. And the last one, he that sows discord. See, I look at those things, I'm like, God, am I guilty of this? Am I guilty of that? Am I guilty of that? Am I guilty of that? Because I want to make sure that I'm living my life to please Him. Verse 8, because that's one part that we read. We live for this purpose to please Him. Yeah. Number 8, verse 8, the, the check, and the checklist it says, and now, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger. Am I, not, am I an angry person? Am I wrathful? Am I malicious? Do I blaspheme? Do I use filthy language? Do I tell lies to the body of Christ? Verse 10 says you put on the new man. Have I put on the new man? Do you ever ask yourself, just ask yourself these questions? Have I put on the new man? Am I, am I a religious person but not a righteous person? There's a lot of people that are religious. Yeah, they, they go to church. They believe in God. But they're not righteous. Nothing changed when they came to Christ. They haven't put on a new man. They're still living like the old man. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. We should pull these checklists out sometimes and say, Lord, check my heart. Am I focused just on this world or am I focused on the things beyond this world? Do I really see the master plan or do I just see this little plan that you have for me? He says we are all going to appear before his throne. Sooner or later we will be there because life is short. It's very short. It's very short. 
Now, I'd love to be happy in life. And I am. I'm a happy person. You know, I'm one of those who's got it by the, I guess, at least a teacup full. I like to think it's by the bucket loads. Sometimes I'm just too happy, I think. I act a little goofy. And, and then that passage says, singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I know Hunter probably thinks I'm nuts sometimes. He's up here working. I'll be walking through the church singing some song he's probably never heard. Because it's from way back, you know, the flat wax from the way back. But we should be like that. You know, we'd love to be happy, but joy is something much deeper. Do you have joy today? Do you have joy today? Is that what drives you? Living by faith. Won't you stand to your feet if you would, please? As I finish up, just a few more things that I noted down here. I'm going to just ask you to close your eyes and just really think about what I'm saying here. Church, I know we all want to be happy. But God doesn't promise you happiness. He does, however, promise you joy. The question that I've asked you this morning, and I believe the Holy Spirit is asking us all this morning, is are we looking in the right place? Where are you aiming? Is your entire life consumed with the things on this earth? Or are we looking at things above? In 1974, I met my wife. We were preparing to get married. We were engaged. And her next door neighbor, a lady that I will never ever forget, Mrs. Clark. She's an old time Pentecostal holiness lady. Wore hair in a little bun, wore those long dresses, shoes that looked like army boots. Her husband had nothing to do with church. She'd have to go up and stand and wait on the bus to catch the bus to church. I was living in Columbia, South Carolina, coming up every weekend to see Jeannie. We were getting ready to get married. I was setting up housekeeping there where my job was. She'd be out in front of 7-Eleven there on Route 1 in Ashland, waiting for the bus. I'd pull up on my way back home. She said, come on, go to church with me, Bernie. I said, Miss Clark, I'd love to go to church with you. But i got to get on the road. i got to go all the way to Columbia. Well, let me pray for you. Because you never met her that she didn't pray for you, ever. And it didn't matter where you were. People going in and out of the 7-Eleven, she's got her hand on my head. And when she prayed for you, brother, you've been prayed for now. Laid hands on me and just pray, pray in the Spirit. Just pray. A lot of what I have become today, I believe, are some of the effects of that woman's prayers. I believe that. First time I was ever, somebody prophesied over me, it was Mrs. Clark. And I was pulling up to the house there one day to pick Jeannie up. And she was standing in the driveway, coming up the driveway. I don't know what she was out there for. Probably a divine appointment. And I will never forget what she said to me that day. She didn't say, hi, how are you, anything. She looked at me with those piercing eyes and said, is Jesus more real to you today? than he was yesterday. For almost 37 years, those words have echoed in my heart. It's one of the things that have kept me to my course in my spiritual walk. Is Jesus more real to you today than he was yesterday? There's a young man in the community 
I take my car there to get it inspected. He works at a garage. He, he actually owns the garage now. His dad used to own it. And he has gotten fired up for Jesus. I haven't got to go talk to him and see him, but I'm hearing reports. He's starting Bible studies, and he is just on fire for Christ. And one of the young men that knows him made that statement, and that young man's mother said his dad used to be that way. Now, his dad has died and gone on. I believe to be with the Lord. God knows. I don't know. But that statement alone, it struck a note in my heart. He used to be that way. Let me ask you. Did you used to be that way? Has your passion for Christ grown cold? Do you have a heart for God like you used to have? Are you putting as much effort in the things of heaven as you are of the things on earth? How are you spending your time, your talent, and your money? When I came in, Mike didn't know I was going to make those points this morning. And it was the whole context of his letter. How we spend our time. How we spend our talent. How we spend our money. Because you show me where a man spends his time and his money, and I'll show you where his heart is. Because Jesus said, where your treasures are, there is your heart. Were you ever on fire for Christ? But the fire is just a little flickering flame now. Is Jesus more real to you today than He was yesterday? How about it? Where's your aim this morning? Father God, we come before Your throne in Jesus' name. We ask You, God, to show us the condition of our heart. Open the eyes of our understanding, Lord. Father, if there's somebody here this morning and they've grown cold, they can remember a time in their life that they were really, really ignited and on fire for You. But they can honestly look at themselves today and say, that passion has grown cold. God, I pray today that You reignite a fire in them, Lord. Father, we can clearly see that we're in the last days. It is no time for us to be growing cold. God, we sang earlier, Lord, pour out Your rain. Let it rain, God. I pray today, God, that You let it rain in our hearts individually, Lord. Let it rain in our church, God. Pour out Your power, Lord. Pour out Your presence, God. Now, Lord, help us today to understand to have that passion alive in my heart. I'm the one that's got to do the aiming. Lord, I'm the one that's got to pursue that. You can't do it all and you don't do it all. It's up to me. So God, help us to have a desire to go after You. And to set our focus on the things above, not the things of this earth, Lord. Speak to every heart right now, Jesus. Show us what we need to do. 
While you keep your heads bowed, I'm going to give you just a minute. We're going to close in just a minute. I would like for you to solidify the decision that you're going to make this morning at His altar. If God is nudging you right now and saying, what happened? We used to have communion together. You used to come and talk to me. You used to walk with me. But we don't walk together anymore. I hear the Lord saying, I haven't moved. I'm still here. My arms are open wide. Will you come back to me? I'm going to ask you to just keep your heads bowed. And while the worship team just ministers to us, why don't you just come and say, Lord, I want to come back to you again. I want to reignite that fire. I want that passion, not like it was before, but hotter, God, deeper. Will you do that this morning?